Welcome to episode 190 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss Todd Payton, Joseph Suwali, and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 190 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, round one NRL is done and dusted. How did you hold up this weekend? Oh, Dr. T, so excited about uh, Rugby League back, and it was a great epic uh, round. Um, So, you know, a new season, a new hope. But I'll be honest, by the end of it, it was return of the Sith slums for me, um, just with the uh, lack of victory from the West Tigers. Our season is over, Dr. T. I, I'm calling her already. I'm looking for another team to back. Just so, no, just so disappointed about that second half. But look, a very interesting uh, round, I've got to say. There's some really key matches and... Uh, a lot happening in the world of rugby league as well, like you know uh, exemptions and and coaches bickering with uh, you know with players, players contract you know coaches contracts not being renewed, uh, and and a whole bunch of stuff. So I think it's been absolutely crazy, but I'm enjoying the madness. It's it's back and it's uh, and it's fun. What about yourself, Doctor C? Oh yeah, look, I tell you what, it was good to watch some actual footy. As opposed to just, uh, uh, you know, what the NRL is running off the field. But you know what? What's typical, and we'll talk about this in a minute, is that the NRL couldn't even go one round without causing a drama. So <laughs> there's already a bit of a drama uh, mm. in the, in the greater world that uh, we need to discuss. But look, uh, as we launch into our typical six tackles, what I thought I'd do is uh, just. Let you know. So we've we've gone for a little bit of a change, Tish, haven't we? We've uh, we've decided to kind of um, uh, change things up a bit in terms of how we do our six tackles. So you'll hear we you'll hear things like a news update and and things like that each time uh, we do these. But we've also got you know different segments that we want to rotate and uh, uh, and try each week. So uh, hopefully hopefully it'll make it for a bit of a better experience for everyone. But, um, but yeah, so let's launch into it because there's quite a lot to discuss. So are we ready for the six tackles? We are. The NRL have changed their rules and we're trying to change ours. <laughs> That's right. We're accommodating the zero we're tackle. Accommodating. That's all right. We're doing as much as we can. All right. Look, let's launch into the first one. And here we go with our news update. Tackle number one. Tackle number one news update. So, look, we're going to talk about two big news items, and the first one is something we spoke about last week, which uh, we actually it actually came to fruition. So, we were talking about Joseph Suwali 
possibly been given an exemption to debut before his 18th birthday in the NRL. Uh, He had been playing, I think, in the North Sydney Bears, which is the feeder club. Uh, no, that's not right. It it was. Uh, hang on, who who's the? Uh, yeah, no, it is the North Sydney Bears that it is, is the is it? club of the Roosters. Yeah, because logically that is the case. Obviously, <laughs> I, I lost track of who the feeder clubs are, Tish. Unfortunately, mm. but look, uh, do you want to take us through what is the news item here about Joseph Sawali? What did the NRL do since last week? Well, yeah, look, Joseph Sawali is able to play and make his debut for the Sydney Roosters as early as this week, but he hasn't been picked. Uh, so the ARL Commission has approved the Roosters' application, um, you know, uh, for Sawali to play, um, you know, and this sort of ends months of debate that people have had, should he, shouldn't he? Um, you know, in striking the deal, the Roosters have agreed to create a well-being and mentoring plan for him uh, around gambling and alcohol management and assurance that Sawali can, uh, will complete his year 12. Um, and the NRL chief, Andrew Abdo, said that the ARL, uh, ARL commission uh, will move to allow Sawali to play prior to 2018, uh, you know, after, the, you know, they've followed a rigorous process. Um, I believe part of the process is that Andrew Abdo personally called the principal of the school that Joseph Sawali is attending. So, you know, can he juggle, um, you know, the, the school books and, uh, you know, the pressures of the of the HSC and the pressures of the NRL, um, you know, is uh, you know can can he do this? You know, I suppose you know uh, Alan Brandy from looking for Alan Brandy was managed to juggle her job at McDonald's with her jobs uh, with her with her schoolwork. I'm sure Sawali could do the same, but uh, I just wonder, you know, is it because the roost? I mean, look, the roosters they see they got an exemption last year for Sunny Sunny Bill Williams. They're getting a, an exemption here now with Sawali. Um, you know, do you, th- do you think it's right, Dr. T, that the NRL will make rules and then as soon as the Roosters don't like it, they just get an exemption? That's what it seems to feel like sometimes. Uh, do you think that's that's the case here or do you think, do you think the right thing has actually happened? Oh, look, it's... Um... Look, didn't you believe Andrew Abdo when he said they followed a rigorous process? I mean... I don't know why you want to cast aspersions on the Roosters. It's not like they have ever bent the rules or, or you know, <laughs> circumvented the rules that everyone else has to follow. Um, look, I think, uh, you know, they're not the only ones. I mean, I think we know that the Broncos have bent rules in the past as well and the Storm and others. So it's yeah. – I, I think I think what's interesting, though, is that at a time when um, – you know, we do have concerns about player welfare as well. We're, we're bending the rules to actually, you know, encourage kind of players younger than... Obviously, they, they came up with the rule for a reason, probably partially for medical reasons as well. Um, yeah. And, and here we are bending the rules a, away from that, which is kind of like, well, are we following the science or not? I mean, what you know, what's going on here? Um I honestly don't know why he. I mean, it's not like as if he turns eighteen next year. It's only in August. We we spoke exactly. about this last week. It's only a few months away. What what is the big deal with letting him wait? I mean, this is why people think that the Roosters run the NRL because it it just it it beggars belief why the NRL would do this or the NRL Commission would do this. So. Um, I don't know. I just think it. If you want to reduce the perception that 
the roosters are getting special favors don't do things like this <laughs> you know like it doesn't make any sense so anyway that's my view yeah. but i would i would think um i look forward to um you know the next uh junior coming out of Parramatta uh being allowed to play before he turns 18 as well let's see if that happens yeah. Well, I I completely concur. Like, I know that they've also come out and said, like, this is an exemption and they're not going to be allowing other players to play. But the question is, once you've done it once, you know, what would be the justification of not allowing another team to do it? You know, it's – I I think they have to. I mean, what what else – because, you know, like, um, show us the rigorous process. You know, if it is a rigorous process, show us exactly what you've done to put this kid's uh, welfare ahead of his ability, um, you know, and, and that's that's essentially what they have to do because as you've quite plainly wrote it, uh, you know, pointed out, in a few months, he is eligible. He's 18, he is eligible. And then that point in time, um, you know, he, he, he can play and, and the Roosters can pick him. So I don't know why they need to wait. It's not like, okay, yes, he's going to be a superstar. Yes, he's got so much talent. Um, but, you know, like sometimes uh, the best talent doesn't really come out until they've actually had uh, a chance to develop themselves. And, you know, playing, I mean, I feel sorry for the North City Bears, you know. This this is their 100th celebration of their uh, first premiership this year, right? So um, to have their, uh, I suppose, star headlining performer not, not be there is, is, is a problem. So... Yeah, look, I don't think the NRL have done the right thing here and I don't think they've done the right thing in terms of uh, player safety and player welfare. Um, but uh, let's see how he goes when he actually debuts um, on the field. All right, and speaking of the NRL <laughs> possibly not making the right decision, uh, our next news item, the next big thing that's happening in the world of rugby league is... Uh, would you believe it? Uh, post-match comments on on in a, in the media. So basically, uh, Cronulla forward Toby Rudolph uh, was being interviewed after the Sharks won thirty two eighteen over St George Illawarra Dragons. He's been interviewed on Fox Sports, and uh, you know he was uh, apparently it was a pretty funny interview. He was very candid and honest about. Uh, certain things and, and was very happy, obviously. He spoke about, for instance, having a 1,000 beers after the match. He was so happy, etc., etc. And then he got in trouble for uh, saying something to the effect of he, he wanted to go, when they asked him, what are you going to do? Um, you know, he said, drink a 1,000 beers. I don't know, go to Northeast, try and pull something. Anything will do. That was his quote. So, look, Basically, what he was trying to say, trying to say was, you know, he wanted to uh, try and um, meet with people, uh, meet with girls, and you know, look. At the end of the day, it was probably a bit uh, inappropriate to say something like that. Uh, but what really, uh, what what's happened is that the NRO has actually formally kind of cautioned him, which uh, I think is kind of it's a bit overkill, but. Um, you know, I guess in this current climate with, uh, you know, people, NRL players in particular, have to be really careful what they say and 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 especially making sexist comments and things like that. So, uh, and I guess I guess the thing is, uh, yeah, the NRL may uh, warn, uh, gave him an official warning. Uh, so he could get in trouble if, uh, if he plays up again. 
But look, I guess I guess look, people will have their own views about whether his comments were worthy of any kind of uh, condemnation at all. Uh, or is it just someone something that someone says in the heat of the moment after you know after winning and just being a bit happy? Um, it's funny that of of all the things that he said, uh, the comments around his sexist comments were the ones that caused the most ire. Not the fact he was uh, going to say he was <laughs> he was going to drink a thousand beers, which you know mm. in the past it would have been you know oh, that's not the right kind of message to be sending to children, all that kind of thing. So. Um, Look, I don't know what your thoughts on thoughts are on this, Tish, but uh, I think this is. Some people have said, "Look, this is political correctness going too far." Uh, the NRL, you know, getting a bit too uh, kind of over the top. Uh, again, in in light of the Suwali situation, you kind of think, you know, why is it the NRL allowing some things to go on, uh, you know, against the science, and then other things. Uh, you know, to try and be sort of politically minded as well. Uh, um, what are your thoughts on that, Tish? Well, um, Toby Rudolph made his debut at 24, and uh, obviously his media training has uh, that the NRL has rigorously <laughs> taught him has has uh, has has worked, right? No, so, look, I think obviously what he said was silly, but I, I do feel that the NRL. I mean, it depends on what the warning. If the warning involves a fine, yeah, I don't. I, I think that's overstepping the mark. You know, we've got to have. Um, you know, obviously, he shouldn't have said what he said. Uh, the NRL should take it seriously. Um, however, I don't think censorship is necessarily the answer. Um, political correctness. I mean, these lines are very blurred now, so it's very hard to work out what is appropriate, what is inappropriate. Sometimes, particularly after you've just, you know, you're sort of uh, you're in a state of euphoria after winning. A match, you know, your very first match uh, for the season, you know, your cage is under fire and, you know, you just want to celebrate. So you're probably going to say some things that are a bit silly. So I, th- I think the, I think really if the NRL, I mean, uh, wants to protect players, they, they probably should, uh, you know, maybe wait for some of these uh, interviews to sort of happen a little a little bit after the, uh, you know, the euphoria has died down of, of winning the game and maybe that might have helped the player out rather than, you know, Trying to warn him to like you know, because um, what 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 you know what's the what do you want? Do you want players to celebrate and see? Yeah, you do, you do want them to do that, but you know, it, I think he's just asking for danger when you actually hold a mic up to their hand. You know, <laughs> just right, straight yeah. after a victory. You know, we've we've seen that fail time and time again. So, so I, I think I think maybe yeah with Toby yeah because look he's. I, I admire players that debut after their, um, you know, sort of in their mid twenties, and and he stuck by in a, you know, rugby league to do it. So, you know, good on him. And but yeah, just the comments are just a bit silly. Yeah, and I guess I guess the the outcome, I guess the only way around this would be, we need to send all these, uh, you know, just like people get sent to driver education courses when they, you know, get fines or whatever or lose their licence. I think what we need to do is uh, as part of the education process, the NRL needs to send these people to uh, the Darius Boyd School of Media um, <laughs> Because maybe maybe he's he'd be better off uh, just giving one word answers and nothing more than that. Uh, maybe maybe that's what yeah. he needs to do in future. But anyway, that's the news. Uh, 
this is what's happening in the world of rugby league. So, uh, yeah, some big things happening. Uh, there's a lot more happening, of course, and we're going to get into it right now. So, um, well, before we do, let's get into the second tackle, which is our last round review. So here we go. So we're going to uh, do a round two wrap, a round one wrap, right. and uh, and basically um, let's go through it. So I'll just quickly go through and then we'll talk about which ones were our highlight games of the weekend. So a quick wrap up of the scores, right. Melbourne Storm defeating the South Sydney Rabbitohs 26 to 18 in front of 11,000 fans, Newcastle Knights flogging the Bulldogs 32 to 16 in front of almost 20,000 fans. Uh, the Broncos uh, losing after after being up 16-0 at halftime, losing 24-16 to the Eels in front of 28,000 fans there in Suncorp. Uh, the Warriors winning 19-6 against the Titans in front of a very small 3,000 or so fans. Uh, the Roosters flogging the Sea Eagles 46-4 in front of 15,000 people. Uh, Penrith Panthers 24-0 against the Cowboys in front of 14,000. The Raiders flogging the Tigers, unfortunately, for Utish 30-12 in front of 15,000. And finally, the Dragons losing 32-18, uh, as I said before, to the Sharks uh, in front of about 7,000 or so fans. Tish, what was your highlight uh, game of the round? Okay, well, the game I want to highlight... Uh, of the round is actually the Broncos and the Eels. I don't know if that's also what you wanted to highlight. That's my one as well, so let's do it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay, all right. Look, what I'm going to say, I am going to do a DC and I'm actually going to backflip um, on my uh, on, on my crystal ball because I believe now that the Parramatta Eels, based on this performance, I do think that they do have the material to get into the finals and, and particularly a top four finish. The reason why is because they their first half wasn't didn't go to plan, and I think for a long time they were out of this game. But they fought hard to get back into it. Um, you know, the, the kicking game was a bit hot uh, off for them. You know, in the first half with uh, you know a few uh, you know interesting decisions that uh, that uh, their halves made and so forth. But now in the end, the play that I loved was actually the Mitchell Moses play. Two minutes before, it didn't score a try or anything, but what it did do is that he kicked the ball, I think it was like on the fourth tackle, and it went into the end goal, and the Parramatta Eels had chased it down and actually caught Brisbane with two minutes to go in in the actual uh, dead ball area. So, you know, they obviously they get the ball back. The Broncos tried the same thing and almost pulled it off on the other end, but nobody was chasing. So the fact that Mitchell Moses had the presence of mind to do that, that is something you didn't see from his game last year, which was... The ability to sort of, sort of um, you know, not do the spectacular play, but to do the the right play at the right time, and and he executed. And even though things didn't go all their way the whole way, the fact that they still won and won ugly and were happy to win ugly, um, I think I've seen a change in Parramatta. I mean, I know it's only round one. I'm already doing it, but there, there you go. I think that Parramatta do actually have the makings now. And uh, yeah, but look. Gutherson is the is the is 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 the man for that team, and uh, he played so well uh, on Friday night as well. What about your thoughts, there, Doctor? Yeah, look, uh, look, I'm going to rather than focus on the game itself. I think there's a, some just a quick observation. You know, of the four um, 
uh, I think is it the top the top four teams last year? Well, let's just say the top five teams last year. At the end of mm. last year, we've they all uh, you know won comfortably at home. So Storm, Roosters, Panthers, and Raiders all won comfortably at home. And for some reason, the Eels, even though they made the top four, were <laughs> weren't given a home game first up. They were given an away game to <laughs> at the Brisbane Broncos home ground. Which uh, is kind of you know not not a way that you want to start the season. It's kind of straight in the cauldron, and however, um, look, and they didn't get to, off to a good start. Sixteen nil at halftime, they were entitled to feel that you know, wow, this is a, a game that's lost and so already started the season. It's going to be a long year kind of thing, but they really dug in and mentally overcame you know a the the biggest crowd of the week. Uh, Brisbane Broncos home crowd, you know, not the easiest place to to play in when you're the uh, opposition, and uh, and they did it. They overcame, and and they it was a shutout in the second half. So, look, whichever way you look at it, you know, what turned it around, I think, and I think this this is why this is a good sign, is that normally normally you wouldn't see the Eels doing this. You'd see them. Uh, uh, you know, capitulating or not turning things around at half time. You know, we, we've come to expect the Penrith Panthers to to engage in sort of miracle comebacks, but for the Eels to do that in this kind of situation, Broncos desperate to sort of get off to a win. They're at home, uh, start of the season. You know, fresh legs, that kind of thing, and a fresh outlook. And the Eels still managed to overcome all that. And I think that this is something. It's something to keep an eye on because the other the other top teams that were expecting to go pretty far didn't really get challenged um, in in comparison, and the the eels were the only ones that did, and they they overcame the challenge. So while I'm a bit worried that they even let it get to 16 nil to begin with, I think there are some positive signs that mentally, uh, you know, Brad Arthur can actually uh, give them a halftime pep talk. Uh, which is not something we're used to doing uh, with the Eels. Usually we're used to kind of being being up there and then, you know, falling away in the second half. So I think this is a good sign. Uh, I'm not going to count my chickens yet because it's just the Broncos and the Broncos didn't do too well last year. So let's see how we go against some more fancy teams. But I think it, there are definitely positive signs. So I'll leave it at that, Tish. Uh, shall we move on to our third tackle? Yeah, well, look, just before we do that, just yep. one final comment is that uh, other than the Rabbitohs, all eight of the top eight teams, so seven of the top eight teams from last year, um, won their opening round match. So uh, the rules have changed, the seasons have changed, but it feels like it's the same <laughs> results. Yep. But uh, let's see if uh, if some of these bottom eight teams can actually uh, compete against the top eight teams. All right. Well, let's move on to tackle number three, and this time we're going to spotlight on a particular topic, so we call this Spotlight On. Here we go, tackle number three. All right, Tish. Uh, Todd Payton uh, gave a pretty scathing assessment of the Cowboys' performance in their first game, especially Jason Tamalolo. Uh, and obviously they, they lost 24-0. There's not many positives out of that for the Cowboys. But, Tish, what in particular 
did Todd Payton say or do that uh, has caused us to kind of uh, want to shine the spotlight a bit on him? All right, Todd Payton, he is uh, the, probably the most honest man in rugby league, but he pulled no punches. You know, his first game as, as coach of the Cowboys in the ranking, like in a normal season game, but he called his side's performance ordinary and concerning. And uh, before turning his attention on his million-dollar-a-year player, Jason Tamalolio, um, who he said had minimal impact uh, in the game, after making it clear that Tamalolo would see less time in 2021, he's come out and said that, um, you know, uh, you know, Peyton played the Tongan powerhouse for only 51 minutes against Penrith, uh, in which he made 10 runs uh, and 71 metres. Um, the Cowboys' 59% completion rate uh, was also a very concerning. Um, however, you know, with only 51 minutes, Tumalo didn't really have a big impact on the game. Uh, and I think when asked, he goes, you know, he basically, he basically, Peyton came out and said, "Look, I don't care if I, t- uh, I don't care for that type of flack. Uh, I'm going to cop that. Um, you know, Jace is contracted here for seven years. If we cook him 65 to 75 minutes a game, three, three you know, in three or four years, what value are we going to get out of him?" This is a long-term decision about Jason's health, and my ambition is to hold on to my job, I guess, <laughs> right? <laughs> In his first game, he's already thinking about his job. Peyton pinpointed the lack of kick-chase pressure that Tamalolo, um, you know, displayed late into the contest uh, on Nathan Cleary. I've actually seen footage of that actual place, and I think Peyton does have a point. I mean, I know, you know, it's sort of uh, towards the end of the game where, the uh, you know, the Panthers still... We're getting on their roll, and uh, you know there was basically he was just sort of walking towards uh, Cleary without actually giving him any pressure at all. And obviously, with a a halfback like Ivan Cleary, uh, like Nathan Cleary, you can't do that. So you know it's very very brave for Todd Payton to come out and uh, say what he said uh, at a press conference. Um, you know, first round and. Particularly on your star player, he's the player that um, you know takes up. You know, is is the most expensive player in their team. Uh, he's the most long term uh, contract as well. I think he's got a like an eight or ten year contract or something like that. So um, you know, but the reality is, I do think he kind of pointed out some things about uh, Tamalolo a little bit because he's obviously the highest paid player, but does he really win matches for you? Um, he really hasn't done that last year or the year before, or that'd be a top eight team. So I kind of see a little bit the point, but I don't know if this is the right way to execute by calling out your star player, which probably all the other junior players look up to in your very first round. Um, so yeah, so I suppose, do you think, uh, yeah, Dr. T, look, do you think, do you think Todd Payton actually, did he, did he, do his side justice by by singling out their their most uh, I suppose valuable player, or or has he has he basically ter- handed in his resignation already? Well, I mean, does Todd know something about Jason Tamalolo that we don't know? Is this is this the way that he's going to uh, motivate him? Maybe maybe this is the way to you know mm. put some pressure on him. Who knows? I mean, here we are, sort of saying. Well, Todd Payton seems to be mouthing off, and and he probably shouldn't be doing it. It's not the typical way to do it. It's going to highlight, you know, uh, unnecessarily in a negative way your star player. What's that going to mean for 
you know, the other players, etc. But maybe that's the way Todd thinks that uh, he can get through to Jason. I'm not sure. So I guess, I guess one thing is, was his performance bad enough that it warranted the coach kind of um, doing and saying, doing what he did and saying what he said? Um, and I'm not quite sure about that. So I think possibly this could just be, uh, you know, evidence of Todd Payton's. Uh, uh, lack of maturity as a as an NRL head coach uh but after game you know after one round um against the side that kind of almost won the premiership last year I think yeah. uh maybe he should have just waited a bit to get some more evidence that maybe his star player was not putting in um mm. but who knows maybe behind the scenes this is just the last straw maybe he thought you know, game one. This is the the. This is when you want to be go out of the blocks and show some effort. And and to be honest, they, you know, they scored no points. <laughs> you know, so I mean, maybe there's a point there that he's thinking this is just only going to get worse unless I do something. And uh, he just decides to do it. I mean, this this kind of reminds me of uh, you know, um, of of other sort of situations where you've got star players and and coaches put their foot down uh and try to make examples of those star players uh you know having said that no one ever did that to michael jordan at least according to that (laughs) that documentary so i'm not sure uh maybe they were too scared of uh what the repercussions would be so i don't know um but yeah look i think it's uh it's interesting i don't know if, if todd payton uh it look right now it could be a genius move I mean, we don't know until we uh, look down, you know, in five, five, six, seven weeks, and see what what he gets out of Jason and his other star players as well. So, could be a genius move there. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. So, look, we should wait and see. But hopefully, look, the Cowboys—they've had a few bad seasons ever since they won the Premiership, actually. And uh, you know, um, it is a it is an interesting place to to coach, and and hopefully. For Todd's sake, and Jason Tamalolo, that uh, this result isn't indicative of this season because it's going to be a pretty bad season if that's the case. All right, so let's move on to, speaking of coaches, <laughs> tackle number four. <laughs> and we are going to have a, a, a segment called Crazy Coach Quote. So here we go, tackle number four. So our crazy coach quote of the week goes to another coach that has been a little bit under the pump. And this one, however, has a lot more experience than Todd Payton. Desi Hazard, he's been under the pump because of Manly's very poor performance against the Roosters. So we thought we'd uh, we'd look into the archives and uh, dig out one of Desi's own homegrown wise words quote, uh, which will hopefully get him through his uh, his slump at the moment. So here you go, Tish. Here is the quote. Uh, this is from Desi Hazard, who at the beginning of the 2015 season, at the launch of the Bulldogs 2015 season, he uh, he seemed to channel Mahatma Gandhi. So here we go. Wow. His quote is this. Keep your thoughts positive because your thoughts become your words. Keep your words positive because your words become your behavior. Keep your behavior positive because your behavior becomes your habits. 
keep your habits positive because your habits become your values and keep your values positive because your values become your destiny end quote wow that is uh look we we have to we have to fact check to see if that actually was desiaza because it almost feels like it wouldn't have been but it was first of all there's quite a lot of words there uh but mm. it all boils down to him saying just stay positive so desi using your own quote we we implore you to stay positive so that yeah. your thoughts become your words become your behavior become your habits hang on become your values that then become your destiny that's what it's all about so what a great quote to uh (laughs) to to remind us of what a true philosopher a secret philosopher is desi hazler yes yes look and dr tower i do have to commend you on i think you had to watch that footage about 35 times to figure out what he was saying uh (laughs) Which That's is what realized. just Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because he is a bit of a mumbler, Des, uh, you know. But, uh, you know, so look, I've got to say, look, it is a great quote. It's good to see, um, you know, a manly coach being so upbeat and so positive. Um, you know, we might, uh, I believe he has uh, donated a whole bunch of yoga pants to his uh, side <laughs> uh, to try and channel that positivity. Uh, they will be the first NRL Completely vegan NRL team to actually uh, win the premiership. If that's the case, maybe I'm not too sure. <laughs> of course, you know he's got the, the, the he's put the band back together, Kieran Four and, and DCE. Um, yeah. So yeah, like so so look, he's doing some things out there. But look, I think mainly, um, I don't know. It feels like whatever they were doing in the off season, um, you know, they might have been training hard, but maybe there was a a negative vibe around, um, yeah, around the place because their thoughts probably weren't that positive, which is why their results haven't been that positive. And, and to be honest, results is not even in his quote. So, um, <laughs> at all. Well, I mean, destiny. That's what it's destiny. all about. It's all about destiny. All right, Tish, let's <laughs> okay. move on. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's move, move on. on. Let's move on. All right, so... Here we are, tackle number five, and we're going to get into a bit of a rant and a debate. So here we go, tackle number five. All right, Tish, you've got an an all-important question you want to raise uh, so that we can get into a bit of a debate. Uh, What is the question of the week? Look, my question is... Um, you know, very simply, the fullback has increased in value in the NRL. And I believe that the fullback has now become the most important position on the field and actually has overtaken the halfback role. I mean, traditionally, the halfback has been uh, the most important player. But, like, you know, if you look at the 90s, all the stars were, you know, Al Langer, Ricky Stewart, um, you know, like the halves, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, Andrew Johns was, you know, in the 90s and so forth. Uh, but look, now if you ask the, the kid on the street, you know, who are the players they look up to, they're going to say, you know, the Ryan Peppenhausen, you know, the Billy Slaters, even though he's retired now, but, you know, the uh, Latrell Mitchells, um, the Clint Gutherson's, you know, they're kind of being the backbone of the team. 
And I just actually wonder, has the fullback role become so important that it's actually more important than the halfback? What are your thoughts there, Dr. T? Are you, do you think this is the actual case? And uh, if not, let's, uh, let's sort of debate it a little bit. Well, it's a good question because uh, it's definitely the fact that the fact that you're not going to get laughed out of town by even suggesting it says a lot about the way the game has changed in the last few, couple of decades. Because uh, you know, there's no doubt that we've had some amazing fullbacks in the past, but they've had different role, uh, a different role to play in uh, in in the normal, uh, you know, in the NRL or the top level rugby league squad compared to the halfback. But I think now things have changed quite a bit. So we've got plenty of examples where now uh, the fullback is not just a running uh, kind of player. In the past you would have had, you know, you either had the lanky fullback who, uh, you know, who who could run a mile, you know, very quickly, you know, people like, I guess, Brett Mullins, Gary Belcher, people like that. Then you've also had the... The kind of tough little fullbacks uh, like Minicello, Gary Jack, people like that who are, you know, defense defense oriented, but also can kind of come into the attack when required. But now it seems that there's a bit of a new breed, and I got to agree with you. I think there, it's definitely an I- increasingly important role in in the the rugby league squad uh, fullback, and I think you've got examples of yeah, Clint Gutherson uh, is is a perfect example. Um, uh, James Tedesco, etc., where their role is, you know, they're not just passive recipients of the ball. They're not just runners of the ball. They're actually active, actively involved in in not just in the defence, but actively involved in the attack, often being, uh, you know, kind of a second halfback, almost like playing a second halfback and sort of uh, making decisions uh, you know, and, and becoming that X factor in the team. So, look, you know, Gutherson and Tedesco are just two examples, but there are there are obviously plenty of others that sort of show that it's not just about the speedy players. These guys are actually playmakers. So I have to say, Tish, while I agree that there is an evolution of the fullback going on uh, at the moment and definitely they're becoming more relied upon as a playmaker, I still don't think that they're more important than a halfback. I do agree with you. They are increasingly becoming important, but I think I'd stop short of saying, uh, you know, they're more important than a halfback. But I have to say, like I said before, no one would laugh you out of town by by you suggesting that. I think it's a genuine uh, debate, and in maybe in five, ten years we'll actually uh, – in my mind, we'll probably have more examples of fullbacks who are – more important to their team than their halfbacks. Uh, Tish, over to you to rebut or agree with my point. Well, look, while I do agree the halfback is still the main playmaker and organiser in the team, and that yeah, is actually evident by all the um, you know statistics around tackle, uh, you know, try assists and so forth, it's generally, you know, a halfback or a 5A who, who sort of makes that. Same sort of thing with line break assists, but you know, James Tedesco actually has the most line breakers this part, uh, last year, and I believe he's very close to having the most line breaks themselves. So, um, you know, so that sort of goes there. So, look, I think the half break position is always going to be very important. Um, but I just think, you know, if you – I mean, the way I'm trying to think about it now is that if, if James Tedesco has a poor game, but yet Luke Carey has a good game, I don't think the a poor performance from a fullback 
can out um you know, I don't think you could overcome that because you're gonna be playing more you know, if they're dropping the ball, if they're making defensive reads that are incorrect, you know, it's very hard to overcome those two situations, which usually a fullback is responsible for. However, you know, if if a halfback has a poor game but the fullback has a great game, I think you're still in the contest. It's just obviously the finishing of your sets is not that great. Um, you know, so if you if you think of teams like if we go to the Panthers, you know, uh, if Cleary has a poor night, um, but then um, you know, and then uh, who's it? I can't even remember. Uh, but their fullback has a great night. Uh, I think you're still in the contest. Whereas I think if it's the other way around, your fullback has a poor night. Dylan Edwards keeps dropping the ball and everything. I don't think the halfback can actually overcome that. And then I'm thinking about the same thing with like Penrith. If Gutherson has a bad night uh, and Moses has a good night, you know they're not going to be able to overcome the errors that are playing from the back. Um, same thing with South Sydney with Latrell Mitchell and uh, and Reynolds. Um, so with all and, and James Tedesco, Luke Carey, same sort of same sort of scenarios here, really. So I kind of feel like uh, in, in sort of all and Peppenhausen and and uh, I don't even know who they're what's a. Can't kind of remember. Like I suppose the monster is there. Is there five back in the main playmaker? You know. Um. So I think I think like when you think about you know who has a good performance and who has a bad performance. I believe that the fullback's role um has it's more important to get the fullback fullback right now than it is to get the um halfback right. And now the other thing that's happening now is that the fullback is actually getting more involved in terms of organising the defence. So the main organizer in attack is your halfback but the main organizer in your defense is your fullback and you win matches based on your defense and not on your attack your thoughts dr t uh yeah i'm not sure about that i think i think the 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 fact that the fullback has uh you know a dual role to play i think you're right they're they're important because uh, they're not just there for the defence, but they're there for the attack as well, and and that's increasingly the role that they're playing. Um, so yeah, I guess if you know, I, I think you you do make a bit of a convincing point there that it, in terms of importance to the team, it isn't just about they're they're the star player and they're only one dimensional. They have a dual role to play there. Um, as I said, the Gutherson example to me and Tedesco. These are examples of where, you know, you know, you you kind of expect when your team is is down or or needing a bit of a spark. Nowadays, you don't really look to your halfback anymore. You look to your halfback to just find someone in the backs to do the to do it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah. And if you don't have a good five eighth with an X factor, if you don't have a Cody Walker or someone like that who who can provide that X factor, well, inevitably you're going to have a fullback. Uh, who who adds that spark and and that's what we've seen and I think the examples that you've come up with you know the obvious ones with Gutherson and um, and Tedesco I think are, are the the main ones but there are there have been others over the years and not not just talking about this year that that sort of prove that that this is an increasingly important role but um but yeah as I said I think people still have this perception that it's it's really the halfback's role to be the little general that that kind of drives everyone around the park but i think eventually we might um we might change our minds on that because uh you know there's a reason why we have a spine and in the past there was mm. no such thing as a spine it was just basically 
<laughs> you know what what was it called it was called the scrum based combination or the you know which was basically six seven and nine um yeah. and in fact in, for a while there it was six seven or eight or six seven thirteen so it was a five eight half back and lock was considered the scrum based combination but now yeah. we've started talking about the 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 spine and the spine really really the only difference is uh you know Obviously, the hooker is involved in that as well, and we're not talking about the lock anymore playing that particular role. We're talking about the fullback all of a sudden coming into play, whereas, you know, when I grew up, the fullback was not seen as a playmaker. It was seen as, you know, a fast and defensively good kind of almost like a a generalist in the back line, someone who who could be a winger or a center, but happen to be pretty good defensively and and good at positional play therefore they drop them in fullback um you know and and uh we've seen that role evolve so much so i think this is a great thing about this game is that as as things change as athletes become more athletic as rules change we're seeing the the you know the position and the way it's defined be uh evolving as well so um yeah yeah, I'm looking forward to the the time when we do actually think you know number one is the number one player in the team. Um, that would yeah. be pretty interesting. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. All right, final All words right. before we move on. Oh no, no, I was just going to say, look, um, I think to your point, uh, I did actually notice this when I looked at the um, you know the the sort of the the medals for the best player in the NRL and even before the Dalian, you know, the the best and fairest for the season and. What you do see is that you do see a trend, um, and the trends have been like, you know, at one stage in the second role was usually voted the best player, and then the lock, and then, you know, even in the sort of the 80s, you know, if you think about like, uh, you know, uh, Wally Lewis and, you know, and uh, Brett Kenny and stuff, the 5 had a very big role. The halfbacks had their set time, and I think it's, even there's been times where the, the hooker has been the most important position. So I think as Robbie Lee evolves, you get, have these areas where different positions have different meaning. And I think we're really starting to see maybe the birth of the era of the fullback uh, because it seems to be more and more important every, every season. So, so that's my final word on that. All right. Well, let's move on to our final tackle then on that note. And it is the tips. Round two tips. So, look, last round, first round, uh, we uh, we did all right. I think I got six correct and out of the eight, and you got five, so not too bad. Uh, let's see how we go this week. Uh, all right, quick fire. Eels versus Storm. I'm tipping the Eels. I'm going to tip the Storm. All right. Warriors and Knights. I think this will be a close one, but I'm tipping the Warriors. I'm going to tip the Knights. Uh, Battle of Queensland, Broncos v Titans. Uh, look, I think the Broncos will bounce back. Yeah, uh, I like. I saw a documentary on the Titans this week, so I'm going to tip them. Look pretty good. All right, Bulldogs and Panthers. Uh, this will be an interesting one, but I think the Panthers uh, will be all over them. Yeah, Trent Barrett uh, is playing against his old club, but I'm going to tip the Panthers. Uh, Manly against South Sydney. Uh, look, both of them coming off losses, but Manly, I think, uh, I think it's too much for them to overcome. So I think the Rabbitohs will win this one. 
Yeah, look, I mean, complete agreement with yourself, Dr. T. I think the Rabbitohs will come through. Um, all right, Cowboys and Dragons. This could be interesting because both of these coaches look like they might be <laughs> struggling for a job very soon. <laughs> but um, I'm tipping the Dragons uh, actually in this one. Okay, this could be a coach swap uh, by the end of the season. <laughs> but uh, look, I'm going to tip the Cowboys because I think Peyton – let's see, because uh, I'm going to bet that the Peyton thing is, has, has pulled off. So, yeah. All right. So you're going to think he's a genius for what he did. Good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Tigers and Roosters. Sorry, Tish, I'm tipping the Roosters. It's okay. Uh, look, for me, their season's over already. I'm going to tip the Roosters. Oh, I'm wow. going against my team. I have to. Yeah, they, they show me. Oh, yeah, that's right. Look, the all new Tigers are the same old Tigers as far as I'm concerned. Oh, no. Yeah. Poor. We need Todd Payton as our coach, I think. Uh, stir <laughs> up some all right, big yeah. games here. And finally, the Sharks versus the Raiders. And uh, look, I think the Raiders will win this one. Yeah, this is tough. look. I'm going to tip the Raiders as well. I oh, know you know what. Let me go the Sharks. Oh, this is a tough one, but yeah, I'll go the Sharks. I, I, I like the Sharks a little bit. I, I think they're a bit of an underdog. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's that's the tips, and that is the podcast. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, don't forget, you can catch us on uh, rlrepublic.com or on iTunes, on Facebook and Twitter, and email us at rlrepublic at gmail.com if you want to suggest any uh, new segments or anything at all, provide us any feedback. Thanks for listening. hope you enjoyed the new format. Tish, over to you to wrap this one up. Well, that's all that we have for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.